Hey Revelers, it is 2021! So, wow, big new year. It's actually January 2nd and I am pushing this out as soon as possible because when you hear the content of the message, you'll know why it's super important to hear as you are thinking about the new year, you're thinking about your resolutions, you're thinking about all the things that you learned in 2020 that you want to bring in all the good stuff into the new year, and especially because of the elections in Georgia this week. This week! So it was super important for me to get this out there in the world as soon as possible with my sabbatical and my surgery and just the holidays and everything, things got really pushed back because we recorded this, Vanessa and I, the week after the election. So there's a lot of election talk in it and it just seemed too important to not get out this week. The other thing that comes up is of course health and mental health and why that's so important for the new year for everybody, but as we focus this episode on the Black community, particularly the African-American female in the United States. And remember that BetterHelp, that's Better H-E-L-P, is my sponsor, and I chose them because they believe in mental health. It is important to not try to do it alone. There are trained counselors and therapists that are out there waiting to help you, to help get through this pretty shitty year and probably the hardest holiday season of your life. This is not uh, hyperbole. It is the way things are and it's okay and you got to recognize it and figure out how to move forward. So if talking to a counselor is right for you, I really hope you'll check out betterhelp.com and you will see that it's convenient and you can change counselors if you need. It's affordable and financial aid is available. I would not have partnered with BetterHelp if they didn't have financial aid out there for like people who are my listeners. And if you do decide to sign up, reference the code REVELREVEL, you'll get 10% off of your first month of counseling. So please Check out betterhelp.com, and that's again H-E-L-P, because over a million people are taking charge with their mental health with BetterHelp, and I think that that number is just going to go up and up and up. So please welcome Vanessa Garrison of Girl Trek, officially my most famous interviewee to date, but the key is she's my friend, and I'm very, very lucky to have her in my life. Hello, and welcome to Revel Revel. I am Lauren Drabble, and today I have my good friend, Vanessa Garrison, who I have not seen in I don't know how many years. Hello. Oh, oh my goodness, so long, at least at least 11 years, or 10, 10 to 11 years, because that's how long it's been since I moved from Atlanta. Wow, and that was... And I moved from Atlanta in 2008. Yeah. And I moved to Minneapolis for two long, cold, hard, miserable years. And then in 2010, <laughs> I moved to DC. So I haven't lived, I haven't seen you since at least 2008. 
Wow. Okay. So let's yeah. start off with how we know each other. What do you recall? I recall that you led the bombest, most amazing book club in America called Salsa Book Club. And it was literally the most mishmash crew, motley crew of women who met in Dunwoody, Georgia, in the most random place in America at a Barnes and Noble or a Borders Books, maybe at Borders Books, I think is what it was next to the Walmart. And But consistently every other Wednesday we met and we read some some of the most amazing thought provoking books I have read. And we had some of the most sophisticated conversations that I have had that have really stuck with me. And we built this little crew and community that I actually loved. Well, excellent. And do you remember what brought you or, you know, why you were open to a book group like that? I don't recall. I remember Laura Mavartian, who was a colleague of mine and told me about the book club. And that's how I originally got to it. And it happened to be literally like four blocks from where I was living. And I was a young black woman in Atlanta who was like, a newly professional trying to build like, you know, a new identity, new community straight out of college, like who am I type person. And all I knew of who I was, was that I like to read. So, so book club made sense to me as like, okay, I don't know where to start in terms of this new city I'm living in, but a book club seems like a good place to start. Well, before we get into like Vanessa's life story, let me say two important things that I've been itching to say to you. First, thank you, thank you, thank you for not just being a great book group member, but for introducing me to, I love her so much and I can still never say her name. The lady who wrote Americana, you say your name. I'm sure you're good at it by now. Jeez, I'm not that good at it. But <laughs> Chimamanda. And- Chimamanda Adichie Nikozi. Okay. Ngozi. Yes, yeah. Chimamanda Ndiche Ngozi. Chimamanda Ndiche Ngozi. Give your daughters difficult names. Chimamanda Ngiche Ngozi. And she is a Nigerian woman. And she is literally, to me, one of the, the most brilliant writers on the planet. And I first got connected to her writing through Half of a Yellow Sun, which is one of my most favorite ever books. You came every book group meeting. Like, why aren't we reading her? Why aren't we reading Half of a Yellow Sun? And we finally got around to it, I think, after you moved. I, I, that's crazy because <laughs> I don't remember this part of the story that I even suggested that. Oh, my God. Totally. And it turned out that, you know, so back in the day when I was working at Borders, I could talk to people about books and recommend books and everything, but that wasn't my job. My job was, you know, to work in oh, the... Cry, you did used to work at Borders. God loves bookstores. And I believe in this new design of America that we are creating in this new portal of energy that we are in. I am calling it right now that we will design bookstores to come back to life. Because God, I mean, there are so few places that I can think of where I could find refuge, where literally I could go to find like solace to get lost in my thoughts to like, just can and like, I just think of like, roaming the aisles of Borders bookstore for hours. And it's like, I need that in my life again. Yeah. Well, so since you've been so busy, and of course, we'll get to what keeps you so busy. So you don't know that I was working in a little bookstore here in the little town of Conifer and COVID plus Amazon killed it. And so it closed October 31st. But the most recommended book by this person in three years was Americana. Uh I sold so many copies of Americana. I haven't read Americana yet. You go home now and read that girl. (laughs) I don't know. This is the thing. I have, God, I don't even know if I want to say this on the record, but it's just like, 
I love Half of a Yellow Sun so much because it was like the perspective of a Nigerian woman solely. And there is something I have start I have started to read Americana many times, but there is something about me as an African American woman that has a hard time connecting to the characters of it or something. I don't know. I need to actually, ooh, I'm commit. Ooh, God is good. I am getting ready to go on a six week sabbatical in a couple of weeks. And I am thinking about what should be on my reading list. And I'm committing right here, Lauren, if you will be my book club partner on this. I'm going to read Americana and check in with you because actually I think maybe I just have not been in a mindset to receive the message of the book yet. And that's exactly it. I tell people all the time, and it sounds like some booksellers just hack to sell more books, but I literally said, never come in and just buy one book if you don't know what you want to read. Always buy at least two because you don't know. You don't know if you're going to be ready to receive that, if you're going to be in the right place. So, you know, you're going to take a few things on the sabbatical and that will be one and hopefully it'll be the right time for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, So that was my thank you. So here's my apology. Okay. I want to confess that I did not, and I still struggle with the, when you, when one has the opportunity to teach other people, you know, how to see things from a different perspective, Mm -hmm. how hard it is to not put somebody in a bad spot. Like I know I must have put you in a bad spot all the time. Like, please tell these white people what you think and feel. Oh God, Laura, no. Look, I put my own goddamn self in that spot. Let me be clear. (laughs) You don't, look, you didn't need to put me in that spot. I am, first of all, I grew up in Seattle, Washington. So I have always been a black woman in white spaces. And I have known to and gracefully known to know how to navigate those spaces because I have grown up in a multicultural community in which I have genuinely from a sense of black power and pride for myself, have love for every person who's been in my life, white, black, otherwise. And so I come at those conversations with full confidence that and assurity in every space that I am in, that I am bringing a black woman's voice to the conversation. And I don't make any apologies about it. And I don't actually make any judgments about it that anybody in the company I have been in hasn't had those conversations before. So I don't, so yes, probably I was the voice of the black voice or the break it down for folks, people in the book club, but you didn't need to put me in that position. If I join a book club, then I am actually bringing the voice of my ancestors, my mama, my grandma, my, the opinions of my girlfriend around the corner, because that's who I am to the table. And I don't even know how to not be vocal about my opinion in that way. And I don't even know how to I don't even know how to speak from an I statement, even as a black woman, I'm speaking from a, I'm just going to give you a generalized how black women think statements. (laughs) Honestly, like that's who I am in those spaces because it's important. I feel like we have such limited time and opportunity to be in communion and fellowship with people of different opinions and backgrounds, et cetera, than us. And Salsa was one of the spaces and and spaces I intentionally put myself in are often those spaces. And I don't want to take for granted take for granted that opportunity. So I feel obligated to um, share perspective that I feel like will bring especially white women along on a journey to understanding that I feel like we need to be on. Well, good. I'm glad we were simpatico on that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with you grew up in Seattle, but then you went to college at UCLA, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And then what, I don't know when you graduated and did you come to Atlanta right after you graduated? Cause I know it seemed like you were extremely, extremely young Look, at the time. I was leading a black girl, 1990s dream life of the nineties, black girl hip hop era where I was in college at UCLA and I don't even, I was just reflecting on this. God knows how I even got into that college. I'm like one, I barely went to high school. I skipped school all the time. I went to, then I went to community college because I wanted to be an actress. So I moved to LA. And so I, I want to say that part of the story because it's not linear. It's not, oh, genius black girl goes to UCLA. No, I literally barely graduated high school. And then I had to go to community college. And then in community college, I met a really great mentor, Benny Blades, who somehow just like, was like, I believe you could get into UCLA if you just do X, Y, Z. And I'm a person who knows how to follow instructions. So like literally he wrote down what to do. I did those things for two years and then I got an acceptance to UCLA. So <laughs> um, all that to say that while I was at UCLA, I could not afford to go to school unless I worked full time. And I was working at an investment bank as a secretary receptionist full time and going to school full time. And I met a friend who had a crazy opportunity to do an internship in Atlanta, Georgia, height of hip hop era at So So Def Records with Jermaine Dupree. <gasps> and I'm a 20 year old black girl in LA in college and I have had to work my whole life. And I was like, I'm gonna make miracles to make this happen. And so long story short, I did an internship in Atlanta during my before my senior year of college. And I fell in love with the city. And I was like, Ooh, this is the Mecca of where black thinking is. And this was like 1999 at the time. And as soon as I graduated UCLA, I literally FedEx all my stuff to Atlanta <laughs> on my company. I'm not even lying. <laughs> I FedEx is an investment bank. They, they could afford it. They were just getting over on America. Um, and so I FedEx all my stuff to Atlanta and I just showed up there with no job and just an idea that I wanted to be a black girl in the center of blackness. And I went to a temp agency, the temp agency put me in contact with Turner Broadcasting and that I ended up working at Turner Broadcasting for almost eight years and kind of worked my way up through digital, digital media. And I met my husband there and then my husband lived in, and I lived in Dunwoody and that's how I got connected to Salsa, which was in Dunwoody around the corner. So I, we're going to, we're going to get to what keeps you so busy in just a second. Since you're mm -hmm. so busy, you probably don't even know the theme of the podcast. And yet you've talked about it a lot already because you've mentioned, you know, forces in your life, people, God, whatever, making things happen. And that's mm -hmm. the, the theme is to explore the details of the stories of your life that mm -hmm. have inexplicable you know, sometimes I don't know the person really well enough to know what they would call it. They may call it the universe. They might call it coincidence. They might call it chance. I think you would call it a God thing because mm -hmm. of all the podcasts that I've been listening to that you do. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, I did not think of you as a spiritual person or a woman of faith. I mean, maybe, maybe that was my I wasn't. I mean, Lauren, I'm a, having a rebirth in this moment. But this is a genius. I actually always was. This is, and I'm just having this articulation right now. I always knew, and I think most people know, and especially women intuitively, I believe intuitively women know who they are from birth. 
I believe that we don't always have the words to articulate, nor mm-hmm. the permission to articulate, mm-hmm. nor the safe space to articulate who we truly are. And so we learn behaviors, patterns, way of thinking, way of living in the world that protect us, that are safe, that are whatever. And also we're all on a learning journey. So it's like you are, we are evolving. So all those things to say that when I knew you in 2008, I was a say 27 year old girl who was learning myself. And intuitively I knew I was a spiritual person but I didn't have the words, the language, the community, the dogma, whatever, to express it in the world in a traditional way. But actually, anybody who really knows me would say, no, even in the, I mean, I came to Salsa Book Club because I loved Nikki Giovanni, and I read her poems, you know, religiously, and her, her words were religion to me. So I think that if we take the definition of spiritual outside of church, then I think Mm -hmm. that actually in the religious way that I showed up to Salsa Book Club, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was a spiritual person. I think probably I just didn't have words to articulate it. So I know that you've talked publicly about how you formed Girl Trek and I would love you to do it here, but in Mm -hmm. the revel revel way of the how the ideas came to you, how the people came to you, how you met Morgan. I mean, all that stuff, all of that stuff that had to happen in in a synchronicity sort of a way to make this special thing happen in your life. Yeah, I am really, it's funny, I'm, I have a tattoo on my arm. It says Providence, which is the the understanding that all things work to for me, the understanding that all things work together to the good, that God has already designed a world, created a world of genuine abundance, love, and goodness. Like I believe that. And I believe my life has already been designed in this like really, really powerful way, Lauren, that that when I reflect on like how I met Morgan, how I started Girl Trek, how I met you, Salsa Book Club, it's like one, like, it's just like one divine order of things that seems so obvious to me that it's like, man, the universe is lined up um, in a beautiful way. So that I'm just reflecting because I believe that, I believe creation is already created and that we are just like receiving. And so like, I was already meant to meet you already meant to be in salsa already meant to have that experience already meant to carry that experience into girl Trek. And it's been amazing, but all that to say the practical, the practical story is this. I black women, black people. And this is the most important time to talk about this. How many days are we from the election? Like, I mean, it's exactly a week because today's Tuesday, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in real time, I want to say like taking this out of like the big picture metaphysical about Vanessa conversation in real time, we are in a space in this country where we are forced to reckon with. We tried every way to reckon with. We tried in through the judicial courts, through education, through media, through Um, reconciliation, we have tried in this country as black people to implore this country to have a conversation about the truth, about who we are. And we are now in a situation where we didn't have those conversations and everything has imploded. 
in a beautiful way, in a necessary way for me, in a way that doesn't even actually give me anxiety. Because there was no way that we could continue on as a country under the false premise of white supremacy, of which we have been moving, in which we have been teaching people, in which we have been enculturating people to behave, by which we, everything in this country demands that some people get a little so that a few people can get a lot. Yep, exactly. And that idea which was built on the backs of black people on my actual great, great, great grandmother, Katie, who I traced to a plantation on the border of Mississippi and Louisiana, like that we cannot move forward as a country anymore until we have an honest conversation about how we got here around the false values that we have promoted around the false ideas that we have built this country upon. And that's not in a negative way. That's in a, you have to tell the truth so that you can be honest and build something big and great out of shit we have as a country found beautiful unity, beautiful ideas, beautiful values. And so I'm not actually erasing those, but I'm saying that as a black woman right now in this country in 2020, in which we by the skin of our teeth just voted in for a second term, a dictator who has actually expressed such vile racism that I'm so glad that we can now live in a space where we say, honestly, America hates black people. Mm. And I'm starting there to say, I am a black woman who grew up in Seattle, Washington. And my mother, to a, I was born to a teenage mother who became addicted to heroin, who was um, sentenced to years in prison and incarcerated for addiction instead of given the support that she needed. And out of that, I still found my way into college at UCLA, where I met my best friend, Morgan, and we were both working college students who were trying to pay for college and figure out simply how to survive. And that survival meant that after we graduated college, we took jobs that were like, how do I just get into the industry? How do I make money? How do I ascend up this capitalist ladder that says that, you know, if I don't, if I don't do this, the only way is death and despair, which is what we are being sold in this country as Black people. And so Morgan and I were navigating that as Black women who had, who understood intrinsically the values of the civil rights movement, the values that people in this country had fought for us to get to those spots where we could be. I went to UCLA, Morgan went to USC, and we were working at this investment bank in Beverly Hills, and we were young black girls making all this money doing this stuff. And we were just like, this does not feel right. Because all around us, Black women, our mothers, our aunties were dying. And so Morgan and I had, were having these conversations in college, literally. And these conversations went over a 10-year period. They went past college. The conversation was, what do we want to do as individuals, as Black women, to achieve personal success? And what are we willing to sacrifice for the greater good of our communities to do that? And why hadn't we made more progress as a community in the ways that we needed to? And we felt like that all these conversations were built up into the trauma 
that we had experienced as a community and to the weight that Black women specifically had to carry in holding our communities together. And we, and that was showing up for us in a health crisis that was undeniable. And so I had one day calculated the life expectancy of the Black women in my family with the women in my family, and it was 65 years old. And at that time, Morgan was a school teacher in Newark, New Jersey. And she was like, you think the health crisis is crazy. Look what I'm experiencing in my classrooms every single day. And at that time, I was working a cush job at Turner Broadcasting. Morgan was ascending up the ladder in the education reform movement. We were had just gotten married. We're living our middle class Black girl lives. And we just had a moment of reckoning where we were just like, we have to stop. We have to pause. We have to do something. And that pausing led into a conversation about a movement to mobilize a million Black women to reclaim their health and communities through walking, using the civil rights principles that have been passed down through women like Fannie Lou Hamer and Ella Baker. And we took that studying of those movements and we built a nonprofit organization called Girl Trek, which we launched in 2010, and which today, um, 10 years later, is getting ready to mobilize a million Black women. And those women are committed to a daily habit of walking. They are literally reducing chronic disease in their community, increasing life expectancy, and then organizing around the issues, policy issues that actually have been kept us unwell so that we can actually dismantle the systems of oppression and build a new America. And Girl Trek is at the forefront of doing that work. It's so, so impressive. So unbelievably world shatteringly impressive. Thank you. Yeah. And I have enjoyed, you know, watching your TED talks and listening to the podcasts and, you know, there's not one episode of whatever that I haven't learned something from it. You know, even if I walk in and go, oh, I know everything about that person. No, I don't. <laughs> me too. Look, me too. That's what I'm saying. And that's, I'm a, that's the genius of Girl Trek, I think, is that Morgan and I, as leaders of this movement, have always been learners. And so we never, and this doesn't work, this idea of this, this savior complex, that some nonprofit or some entity or some leader is going to come in and give people the answer. It's a false, it's a false assumption. It doesn't work. What Morgan and I said is, we wonder what is happening and we wonder what the answer is. And we were like, we don't know, but we know who knows the answer. And that's Black women. And so our strategy was how do we organize Black women so that we can get together and figure out how to solve the most pressing issues of our community, of which health was at the top of the list, poor health was at the top of the list. And we were like, how do we do that? Well, and we studied strategies, starting with Harriet Tubman, who walked herself to freedom, literally 90 miles, the women of the Montgomery bus boycotts who walked to bring about civil rights um, legislation. And we said walking as a tool for social change is something that we could use in modern day. If we apply the messages of public health that says walking five days a week, 30 minutes a day is the single most powerful thing you could do for your health. So we combine the public health science with the practical cultural application of walking to build a movement that is mobilizing women every single day to lace up their sneakers and walk outside of their front doors. And they are doing it within community with other women. And as they are walking, they are talking and they're like, okay, what do we do about education in our neighborhood and this school? What do we do about this abandoned house? What do we do about, and it's powerful how that is happening, but that happens when women start walking and talking together in community with each other. Yeah. You cannot 
stress how powerful it is. I mean, unless, unless people have like a real 30,000 uh, view foot view, they won't get, I have, I have big blinders of things I can't see, but things I generally can mm -hmm. see are connections and how things are connected and interrelated. And when I saw like what you were doing, I was like, damn, she is hitting all of these connection points with replacing isolationism with walking as a community, replacing yeah disenfranchised people with giving them opportunity. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So many different things. So yeah. I just, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. clap because it'll be distracting on the audio, but I'm clapping. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I love that. And I want to emphasize that the key to that is the women on the ground. It's that every single day girl trick is led by not Morgan and I, but literally a woman in Detroit, a woman in Oakland, a neighborhood woman who has, who has essentially been empowered through our open source tools, through the narrative that we have built, through the community that we have given her access to, to say, oh, I'm a solution maker. And that woman is essentially telling us, she's directing us. Essentially, she's saying, this is where we need to be moving over here in Detroit. And then the woman in Denver is like, this is how we need to be mobilizing over here. And she's mobilizing with women on the ground and they're doing it in the name of Girl Trek. That model is what movement building is at its essence and its core. It's very different than a top-down model of delivering some sort of service, which is what nonprofit kind of work has become, where it's like a charity model, which is not what Girl Trek is at all. No, it's a movement for sure. It's a movement, yeah. I mean, and it's so funny because it's literally about movement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. No, we put the move and movement was actually our very first maybe our second slogan I think our we had like three main slogans let's talk more walk we put the move in movement and when black women walk things change like those were the three core messages that launched girl trek into black women's households across America so you know you're, you're pointing out these different individuals who are leading their community and how you're just sort of like a I don't know what the word is, but a, uh, a central maybe mouthpiece place to get the mm -hmm. word out of like, Hey, mm -hmm. you in Detroit. I, I would call it the hub, you know, the, hub, the yeah. organizing hub. It's where ideas come to germinate. It's where ideas go to come to grow. And it's where ideas come to get their wings and their capes and fly out and do good into the world. So we're a hub of activity and smart ideas and committed women. And Girl Trek does provide some critical, it's, you know, because movements, Ideas, inspiration, even action are great, but you need infrastructure around those. And so what Girl Trek does especially well is we provide infrastructure around the women in communities. We provide the network connections. We provide the resources. We provide the training. We provide the cohort building. We provide, which is really important, the national narrative, which ensures that we are moving as a unit. And that creates that solidarity that is essential to being a movement. So those are the things that we do provide as an umbrella, as an organization. But then the hub of that is the energy that's provided from women. And where are you at, Lauren? I'm outside of Denver. Yeah, so actually... Denver, Colorado is a city where I could point to one of Girl Trek's most successful 
stories of transformation. We have a woman in Denver, her name is Pam Jenner, and she's about, she's 60 something years old and she's walking with Girl Trek and started mobilizing in community, organized hundreds of women to start walking in her neighborhood. And then she attended one of our advocacy trainings that was sponsored by Stanford University, where she learned to start doing walking audits of her neighborhood with her women as they were walking. So not only were they were walking, but they were then assessing, okay, the built environment, they were starting to see the traffic patterns and they were starting, this is in a neighborhood where um, vehicular homicide was killing black people uh, at a higher rate than gun violence. And through them walking and auditing in their neighborhood, they were like, okay, we have been living in this neighborhood for generations by what the city had determined was a pond. But what the neighbors always knew was a actual toxic pool of waste. Oh my! And it was Pam Jenner and her Girl Trek women who said, yeah, we know that this is in fact toxic waste. And Pam Jenner using the, the advocacy tools that Girl Trek taught her and using the support of Girl Trek and Stanford University actually was able to organize the city council, the mayor, the actual, the DOT to come down to her neighborhood, had, had a first had a crosswalk put in, first had a traffic stop put in, and then had the entire toxic waste pool moved from her neighborhood. And this happened within a three-year time span of Pam walking with Girl Trek since about 2015. And that's the type of local change that we want to see happen. And at the same time, keep in mind that Pam is doing this while getting fit, while meeting the federal guidelines for physical activity, while managing her stress because she's a caregiver to her adopted son and a bunch of other people in her neighborhood, but while maintaining, you know, mental health balance. So the end while building real connection and community, which has all sorts of scientific evidence that says improves not only life expectancy, but quality of life. So the connection of walking and what Girl Trek has been able to do with walking is really powerful. So how does that make you feel? You know what? Have most days nothing because Lord, I'm so in the weeds. And this is an honest moment. Like I can have this like high level conversation and it sounds amazing. And it makes me feel amazing at a high level. And also, and this is the real danger of organizing. Mostly I feel exhausted. And that's the irony because Girl Check's work is predicated on the fact that women like Fannie Lou Hamer who organized 60,000 voters single-handedly in Jim Crow, Mississippi, died at the age of 59. Mm -hmm. And how do we do this work, but not actually lay our bodies on the line? And as a Black woman leading an organization that is trying to do that work, our mission at its core still must be personal self-care which sounds frivolous up against all the justice issues that I just named that someone like Pam Jenner is working against. But the importance of that is to say that the way we were able to mobilize Pam Jenner was actually a message of self-care, which is like, Pam, we need you to be healthy to be in the fight. So it feels amazing where Girl Trek is. And also I am in a a battle and winning the battle, (laughs) but figuring it out of how I, at this next phase of where we are, which is beyond this amazing milestone of a million Black women, how do I now build and model a life that is impactful, but also sustainable? And that actually, doing that will revolutionize health for Black women. So I'm looking forward to it, the next phase of what Girl Trek does, being a public model of how to do that. So that I can be like, this is how it feels, Lauren. 
It feels yeah. amazing. Yeah. I feels it feels like the wind is blowing in my hair. It yeah. feels like, but sh- right now I'm like, shoot, I don't know how the hell that feels. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just means that you're still grounded. Yes. 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 But I'm so glad to hear that you're having a sabbatical so you can take care of yourself and you're going to come out of that with revelations. I am so sure of that. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And we have, and our sabbatical is annual and it's built in as a revolutionary model for how, for how organizations can actually build capacities to support black women as leaders. And so we offer that annual sabbatical six weeks, December 1st to January 15th to every paid full-time employee on girl truck staff. And we feel that it is critical and necessary so that they can go back and source and personal inspiration to bring to the movement so that we continue to be learners and create space to be learners. And so that we can invest in our own joy and self-care because we deserve it. Right. And we work hard. And you have been, I mean, this is an election year. You've been working harder than ever, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. And, and unfortunately the fight continues in Georgia right now, which is so weird. Oh my God. Yeah. I know it's bizarre, but you know what? I'm glad that this, this battle is happening in Georgia. This is the shift that this is where we are in an energy shift in this, on this planet. It is so much bigger than the politics of the United States. Right. I just want people to understand that it's so much bigger than the politics of the United States. We are in an energy shift and what's happening with COVID and what's happening with Donald Trump and all sorts of things that are happening around the world are just indicators I think if we are smart humans and evolved humans, we look at this as an opportunity to design and to push this, the, the world to where we want it to be. And for me, that means excitedly, as you saw Arizona flip blue, as we saw Georgia flip blue, that I'm like the perfect battleground for what's getting ready to happen is Georgia, because the energy shift of the America is that the ancestors are getting ready to rise up in the South. And specifically in those states like Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi where black blood has been spilt and is in the soil, I believe that there is going to be a a renaissance of black leadership, of black love, of black ownership, of black wealth, of black education. And I think that the center of that as proven by the HBCUs who just put Kamala Harris into office is going to happen in the South. And so let it be in Georgia that black voters in particular deliver this victory in this moment, because I believe they will. And let that be a signal to all those folks holding on to the era of bygone whiteness of America, that this is just the beginning, that this is just the beginning, like the way it can mathematics say that this cannot be stopped. Mathematics says that justice is on our side and that if we are patient and if we are vigilant and if we are diligent, that we are going to win this battle. The arc of justice is going to bend in our favor. And that is, in fact, why you see this kind of empire of greed hanging on with their fingertips because they can feel it in the air. They can feel it in the air. I like that empire of greed. Well, Certain people have been smart enough to go on record like uh, Kamala and saying that this revolution is happening because of black women yes, and, and that the people. Lauren, who- I mean, I need you. I'm sorry. I have to interrupt. No, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Woo, this is where black women, I feel like we'd be laboring on behalf of America. We can't have a conversation about all the stuff I'm doing, the world, nothing without stopping to say that more white women than last year then last election voted for Donald Trump. How is this? I know. How, how, how? 
I wish I understood. That's the world I'm living in. You know, like I don't, we did, that's the conversation America needs to be having right now that in 2016, if people wanted to pretend they didn't know what Donald Trump stood for, if they wanted to look the other, they wanted to pretend pussy grab, they didn't understand all that stuff. Well, he explicitly made it clear from the kids in the cages to the shithole countries, to the building of the wall, to the Muslim ban, to every way explicitly he has made it clear that he is a white nationalist racist. And more people in the country than ever are like, that sounds good to me. I know. That sounds good to me. That I know. sounds good to me. Well, and here's the ironic part. While some people are shocked and befuddled, this is where Black people have been saying, no, this is exactly what we are trying to tell you. This is the world in which we live in, in which the poet Lucille Clifton says, won't you come celebrate with me that every single day something is trying to kill me and has failed. And so I actually think that the, the optimist in me says that the Trump era has exposed what needed to be exposed at the root. And as Angela Davis says, radical just means grabbing at the root. And so for those of us who believe in the good, like me and you, Lauren, it's like, okay, Trump has exposed this country and forced us to grab at the root, the racist to the core reality of who we are. And it is painful to look at, painful to experiencing and befuddling to explain, but it is what it is. And I have a friend, Veronica, who says, you cannot heal what you cannot feel. So let's feel as uncomfortable as this is, as sad as it makes us feel, as disheartening as it is, I'm grateful that we can no longer pretend or look the other way. This is who we are. It's who the founding fathers were, is what's built into the constitution. It's why when the flag, I'm wearing my Colin Kaepernick shirt that people say we should stand for. This is who we actually, this is what the flag stands for, racism. But that's okay. So let's fill it, understand it, and then say, well, but there's more of us on the side of good now. Right. And there's so much of what is beautiful that my ancestors, I know, laid their life on the line for that I'm not going to give up on. And so I'm just saying, I'm glad we can build a new with a more honest core and foundation for who we are as a country. Yeah, I, you know, I have no right to be upset or depressed or whatever when you're not, when you're out there fighting and doing all the good that you're doing, because it is disheartening to see you know, numbers. This is good, Lauren. No, no, God. Let me tell all your white listeners, if you could do one thing, have a conversation with your people. Yeah. That's, and that's what you're doing. I'm sorry. This is what I'm saying. Like yeah. black people ain't having no more conversations and good white people. God bless you. But we don't even want to have conversations with you anymore. Go I to know. your people. Go to your people, the hard to understand people, the 56, 7% of white women who voted for Trump and keep knocking at their doors, keep organizing on their lawns, keep burning down the bridges of misunderstanding in their communities. The organizing must happen via white people in white communities to turn their hearts and minds. It's not going to be black people or people of color in this country convincing those Americans who voted for Donald Trump anything. It's not going to be. It's going to have to be people like you. And you, what you are doing, even in just sharing your own conversations through this podcast, that is the way when people are just like, oh, it's like, I have to say this because it's like, 
God, DC is so liberal. Seattle, where I grew up, is so liberal. These fake liberal places I cannot stand. Mm -hmm. This is what I appreciated about living in Atlanta and the Confederate flag racism in my face. It is like liberal white America and God bless, I love you. You can't be so concerned with showing that you're good, the good one, right? right? And it's like, I believe there is so much of that right now that it's like, hey, no, I'm with you. And I'm like, I don't care if you're with me or not. I care that you tell the people who ain't with me to get their shit together. And so I feel like white liberal America spends so much time having conversations like, hey, let's have ally conversations. Let's have, no, we don't need to. We on the same page. I see you. We see you. We can talk later when we get this together. I got it. So spend all your energy and time over there getting those folks together, not having, not telling me, let's not have no more ally conversations. So I want, white people who understand where we are in this country who are saddened as I am by the results, even with Joe Biden in office, what the numbers have revealed to us, have difficult conversations, please, with your loved ones, with your neighbors, with the people who you are in communion and community with, and and commit to be the Fannie Lou Hamers of your community and change the hearts and minds of those people. That's the only way the country is going to save itself. They ain't going to listen to me, Lauren. They like, that's an angry black woman. And she doing this, like, you know, I'm already dismissed in that space. And I, and that's fine with me because that's not my ministry. My ministry is to speak to black women and remind us of our asset-based God-given inherited power and how we actually are the ones we have been waiting for. And never mind who's in office or what's going on. We can create solutions for ourselves. Like that's my job. And as while I'm doing that, I need you and other people to be telling white people who keep voting for Donald Trump, what's up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's up? And, you know, I think finally, some people are being huh, not honest, but not afraid to talk about it, you know, like to have those conversations. We were we were taught that who you vote for is your own private business. And I get that, but also, which is crazy because black people are taught the personal is political. And we understand that explicitly from the way we wear hair to whom we love that we don't even have the luxury to talk about white privilege of actually making that distinction. Like it's like so significant and so important to underscore, because when I talk about the health crisis facing black women and the work that I do, the weight that we carry, that's the weight I'm talking about. The weight, that weight is so heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you talk about how Black mothers feel every day when their kids walk out the door, oh my God, that weight. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, people are, I think are finally starting to be willing to talk about who they vote for and why, you know, but what I have found to be easier is to talk about my white privilege and talk to people about that. And then they're saying, oh, okay. Yeah, they're privileged too, but they don't, it's so hard to get people to do the work. You know what, but Lauren, I actually think, I don't know. I think people are so tuned off by the concept of white privilege that it's like the door is shut as soon as you open the conversation with that. I actually think from a genuinely, this is my space where God is love. It's a compassion argument. It's a compassion argument. Yeah, I'm saying it's a compassion argument to me, not a privilege argument. It's a, hey, cousin, friend, whomever, put yourself in their position. Like this is, you see what I'm saying? This is a, this is a, let's, let's do a role reversal here. Let's express the, the compassion and love that we say we are as humans. And then at this point, either people can express it, understand it, or they can't. 
Right. You see, like that's that's what it is. Like trying to, so people are so so holding on. Oh no, I don't have like I don't care if you understand your privilege or not, but understand this that my grandmother Olympia cleaned the floors of a white num- woman named Miss Abel, and she didn't get paid time off. Right, and that she had eleven children because she didn't have access to birth control. Talk about reproductive rights. Right. Right. And that she lived in a house that now was just foreclosed on because of predatory housing lending in the 2008 housing crisis. And now that gentrified neighborhood has been turned over to white people who are excluding black people in Seattle and the tech industry and all sorts of industries from wealth that they deserve and access to resources that they deserve. So it's like, it's so complicated. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. That, that that's why for me, it's like, let's just have a compassion conversation that says, how would you feel that that were you? And I, and this is why, you know, however many days we are again from the election where people are like, oh, let's now, you know, reach across the aisle and let's try to make these Trump. No, no, we're not. I'm, let me explain something. Donald Trump was a white nationalist fascist who, who was it? Who was as vocal as he could be about his opinions about how he felt about me as a black woman? So anybody, so no, my first order of business is not going to be to try to extend compassion to these to those folks. That's what I'm saying. So at this point, it is to genuinely say, do you understand me? Are you compassionate? Like, never mind a privileged intellectual conversation. I'm talking about a love heart conversation. Black lives matter. Either they matter to you or they do not. And and I don't want to have an intellectual conversation about privilege with white people, liberals or non-liberals. I want to have a love conversation in which you see my humanity and we ain't got to have no conversation because we in the fight together or else we don't. If I even have to have a conversation with you, I'm wasting my time and all of my energy needs to be expounded into my own community and the love of myself, not into convincing you about privilege and anything intellectual. Like, I don't even think that we have the energy for that anymore. Or I don't. You know, you're right. I when I have talked to people about their white privilege, I have said, you know, how like, let's say uh, I'm talking to a white guy who's gotten pulled over. Did you were you afraid? How did you feel? You know, and I hadn't thought about what that I was doing, what you said, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. intellectual. It was right. more how you felt. But I would never have thought of it till you just said that. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Well, so as far as the theme, that stuff, you know, I was saying about the kismet, the synchronicity, chance, universe, whatever going on in your Mm -hmm. life, you know, as you've been talking about Girl Trek and how concrete the actual steps of the movement are and the help, Mm -hmm. what's interesting is you, you didn't say anything about the spiritual side. You were talking a lot of really practical somewhat organizational, political, whatever parts of the movement and the the ways that you're affecting change, which is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But I was just surprised because um, the podcasts that you do with the Black History Bootcamp are so spiritual. So if you could bring into that theme that I was talking about, where the universe and God and all the other stuff, the whatever words you might want to use, where is that in all of this in your life and in Girl Trek? So we've done three um, now series of Black History Bootcamp. Each of them are 21 day podcasts that are themed and meant to be listened to while walking essentially 30 to 
60 minute episodes. The first series was a foremother series where we explicitly talked about black women foremothers and their organizing strategy, their lives, everyone from Shirley Chisholm to Zora Neale Hurston. The second series, we talked about 21 Acts of Resistance, and that was every, and we talked about everything from Marcus Garvey to Stokely Carmichael. And the third series, which just wrapped, was an explicitly spiritual warrior series where intentionally every fall, Girl Trek as an organization does prayer as part of our programming because Although most people will be, I guess, surprised and they'll say, oh, I didn't spirituality and girl trek. It's like for for black women in particular, there's hardly any disassociation between, again, our personal, our political and our spiritual lives. They are so intrinsic that it is only when we are explaining to outsiders that we actually have to explain that something is spiritual or is explicitly not spiritual or because actually spirituality has been explicitly at the core of Girl Trek as a civil rights movement organization because spirituality was at the core of the civil rights movement. So spirituality was at the core of Harriet Tubman's escape on the Underground Railroad. So spirituality was at the core of Ida B. Wells' lynching, anti-lynching platform in her writings, which, so there's never actually been this, you know, disconnection But from a public health standpoint, we are sophisticated and savvy about how we introduce spirituality into our programming. And sometimes we're more covert and sometimes we're more not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the Spiritual Warrior series is an opportunity for us to be explicit with our faith-based community, which is at the backbone of Girl Trek and the backbone of the Black community and say, we are dedicating this programming publicly, explicitly to spiritual warriors and also to public prayer because honestly, and this is where... I am a leader of Girl Trek, but I'm just a Black woman trying to do Girl Trek every day. Morgan and I are just also Black women who are on our own own spiritual journeys. And genuinely, mostly what Girl Trek is, is our personal fight for our lives represented publicly, daily, through in vulnerable ways that other women can access. So... It's only what me and Morgan really genuinely mostly believe that we can put our hats on. So I'm in a spiritual, I'm in, I'm having a spiritual revolution right now. And that's just probably showing up explicitly in our work more, which is okay. You know, I think Steve Jobs maybe thought something, whatever, and then his dogma showed up in his work at I and what he did. So. So what does that mean to you? What, what do you mean when you say I'm having a spiritual revolution? I am. I am, I'm just turned 43 years old. Um, I just got divorced and I was married almost 14 or 15 years and with my husband, Exos and Marty, who, you know, for almost 19 years. And we were together. So from like 23 years old to like 42, so like a significant part of my life. And for the last 10 years, I have been literally working maybe, I don't know, somewhere between 12 and 18, 20 hours a day, literally on girl trek. So all of those things to say that I have been, I have, we have, Girl Trek has achieved tremendous success. And I have even, I've traveled the world. I've done lots of really amazing things, but I haven't, I haven't been at my most powerful. Actually, that's what I mean by I'm having a spiritual revolution is that I actually feel like for the first time in my life, I am combining my body, my spirit, my physical, my, in this really powerful kind of present way that is showing up in my personal life and in my work. And in this way that just makes me feel personally really powerful and I'm able to express it in really powerful and effective ways. And I feel like it is being sourced from a source that's 
great. I know what's being sourced from a source that's greater than me. That's God. And I know that I'm being, my steps are being divinely guided in this way that feel very clear to me. So that's what I mean. And I, and I, that feels very, that energy feels so exciting for me. That is, and I know Morgan is in that same exact space. And I think that that's actually divine timing that her and I were put together to be leaders of this movement and that our personal journeys have taken this parallel trajectory in this really powerful way. Girl, if you are just starting on this thing, I just, you are going to blow the world that's apart. How I feel. I'm not <laughs> kidding. And that's what I'm saying. I'm getting ready to go take a very long nap because I, one year ago this day, I did not even know I was going to get a divorce. I didn't even know that divorce was a possibility in my life at all. And so what I'm saying is that my whole life has changed in almost one year and really powerful, amazing things have happened. I'm getting ready to take a beat and a rest, which is what I would encourage everybody in the world to do. And then, yeah, I feel like after that, shoot, who knows? I'm going to be coming back punching like, I feel excited. Yeah, you well, you seem like you're on fire now. That's what I'm saying. It's just going to get bigger and bolder and brighter. And wow. (laughs) No, no, this is good. What I'm saying, but I'm having a spiritual revolution, even my everything, even my work, like, we're in a global pandemic. Do people realize this? Like, why are they trying to go on business as usual? Like, how many more zoom conferences can we possibly have as a people? It's so like bizarre and strange to me. So for me, actually, I've been trying to like live my real life in a way that is like, how do you show up for yourself personally? And also, how do you do really impactful work? And how do you like model it? So I know I got to let you go, but we started off by saying, you know, that you introduced me to this author that neither of us can promote very well because we still struggle with her Chimamande, name. Chimamande Ngo- Adichie Ngoze. Yes. Thank you. And yeah. I just want to see if there's anybody else that you want to recommend to me. Oh, yeah, Gazy. Oh, I read everything by Yah, by Yah Jesse. She says Yah Jesse. Yeah, thank you for correcting me. Yah Jesse, look. You would uh, never know that by looking at it. You're like, no way. Yah Jesse, no. Anyways, her new book I just got is what is it called? Transcendent, Transcendent Kingdom. Kingdom. Transcendent Kingdom. So that and Americana are going to be my two. I want to throw in Song of Solomon, but that's ambitious. <laughs> and oh, that's but. oh my gosh. Well, Song of Solomon is, that's all you need really, but. I know. And I, I really, I'm hoping to start writing some of my own books, not fiction books, but maybe fiction books, who knows, but I'm, and part of what I, but part of like telling, part of it is just like me revisiting and honoring, like there's so much to learn. Like I'm just learning. I'm, I'm feel like I'm 10 or 10 years out. So that's why I was like, I have to keep, you have to keep reading the classics and the new and the new stuff. So either way, I love ya. Say it again. Yeah. Jesse. Yeah. Jesse. Thank you. So oh, I love I, that. Yeah. Jesse. Yes. So I love ya, Jesse. And literally I, I mean, I can't, I'm, I can't even express enough about her. I loved Homegoing. Loved it. Loved it. I appreciate Transcending Kingdom, but I'm not going to say much because I don't want to ruin it for you. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm going to check in with you on both Americana and that. Yeah, good. Okay, so have you read Jessamine Ward? I have. I just read. Which one of hers did I read? No, I'm lying. You know who I just read? The husband went to jail and then he came back. Well, he Tyree, Tyree Jones. Oh, um, yes. 
I have her on my night. You know who I'm talking and about, And I right? haven't read it. Yeah. Yeah. You mean American, God, the American marriage, that one? Yes, 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 yes. And I actually, it's a juicy read. Oh my God. That's, I'm, I need some more juicy reads like that. Like it is good, but also just juicy and like not heavy and heavy and juicy. Like it was a good, easy read in this really powerful way. And I have um, Jessamine Ward, but I actually haven't read any of her stuff yet. I adore Jessamine Ward. Stacked on my side table. Yeah. But the heartbreaking article that she just wrote about losing her husband to COVID, um, if you have not read it, is... Who? Jessamine? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. <gasps> oh, I will. So, I will essential, essential reading as soon as we hang up is to read this article. Just Google it. It will come up. It is the most flawless writing. It is a reflection of COVID and the George Floyd death and how... Her husband died at the intersection of this. It oh, is wow. she the in the article title, she brings back this word actually that I was talking to another writer. It's despair, which is almost like despair, but a different even research the word despair. Anyways, the whole thing is beautiful. So read it. Her husband just passed away recently to COVID. Yeah. And he was only 35 years old. Wow. Well, I I highly recommend everything that she's written too. And here's my little story about her. In that I, when people wanted to read her book, her first book, Salvage the Bones, I was like, yeah. no, it's about dog fighting. I don't want to read that. Right. And as you know, we vote in book club, book group, my book group. And um, that's what people voted for. And I was like, fine. And I came into it all ready to tear her up and down. And then I went, oh, shit. I sounded like the, mm -hmm. the dude in uh, The Wire because- right. I'm like, she can write like nobody yeah. else. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read it. I'm a, I, so I have a good long reading list now that I'm building. I love this actually. But I do think that you'll like sing Unburied Sing better, especially where you Oh, are. that's the one I have. Okay. That's good. the one I have. Good. Okay. That's the, that's the one I have. Yeah. Well, I miss you, but I love watching, I you too. I yes. love watching all of your work and I am going to. September 2021. It's. You are personally invited by me, Girl Trek Stress Protests, Estes Park. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, I definitely want to check out, what did you say the lady's name in, in Denver is? Pam Jenner. Jenner. I knew it was Jenner. I couldn't get Pam. Yeah. And just to yeah. check out yeah. everything she's accomplishing in her neighborhood. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I'll send you some articles and info on it, actually. All right. Cool. Cool. All well, right, Lauren, it was know, so good talking I, to you. You too. And I love seeing not just you know, how your work is affecting others, but I like seeing how it's affecting you. Yeah, me too. Which is, which is very nice. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you. Oh, and also I want to thank you for providing me in the six degrees of separation way that I'm only one degree separate from Michael B. Jordan. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, be still my heart. Yes. And now he's the biggest Girl Trek fan. So we're hoping to get him on our board soon. So yes. if you get him on your board. I just, oh my gosh. Oh, I know. Uh -oh, oh. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, that's just a little okay. personal. I know. There, but thank <laughs> you again for your time. All right. And we'll be in touch afterward to see how you are after your sabbatical. Okay. Okay. Yes. I'll check in. Because I really want to hear about all the other breakthrough moments because that's that breakthrough stuff. That's the juice right there. It is. It is. All right. Love you, girl. All right. Okay. Love you too. Bye. Bye. So you made it to the end. And you know that Vanessa has taken us to task 
us being the typical revel, revel, white, liberal listener. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. It's just that we have responsibility. We have power. We need to make a commitment to take all of these things that Vanessa talks about and all the things that we learned about how the world has changed in 2020 and how our lives have changed and figure out how to make it worth something and make it mean something and make progress happen. So I have been challenged by her to talk to more of my people, particularly those who voted for Trump. Now, if you hear this and you still vote for GOP who are totally out to get you, I definitely need to have a conversation with you. Hopefully that conversation comes from the heart and is personal and makes people empathetic. But that is the hardest thing to convey, to teach, and to be. So it is definitely a work in progress. And I hope that you are open to doing the hard work and doing it together with me. If you have been touched by this episode, please either text me or get on Facebook or Twitter to let me know. But if you really are struggling with what to say, how to say, how to feel, what to do, let's talk about this one-on-one together. I really think that we can help each other out and help figure out and help us make the world that we want it to be and be that change that we want to see in the world. So welcome to 2021, my revelers. And now that my sabbatical is over, hopefully there's lots more episodes coming at you. And finally, I am committing to walking with Girl Trek in Estes Park in September 2021. I hope you'll join me.